Welcome to Pickups, the podcast where we go back and unravel the greatest movies of all time and talk all things filmmaking. I am John Michael Powell. I'm Sean Harrison-Jones. And I'm Zachary Ray Sherman. And this week in our very first episode ever, we'll be discussing the 1977 Louis Buñuel film, That Obscure Object of Desire, starring Fernando Ray, Carol Bouquet, and Angelina Molina. But before we do, let's uh, introduce ourselves since this is our very first episode. Zach? I'm Zachary Ray Sherman. I'm one of your guys' friends. I'm a filmmaker. I love movies. I'm here to discuss movies with you guys. I've been acting for a long, long time, probably just about 20 years. And that's probably my, uh, I, I love it. I, maybe it's my favorite thing, but I love all things filmmaking. And so this feels like a great place to talk movies with you guys. That's it. That's all I got. And And what things would people know you best for? I mean, probably I different tv and independent film there was tv series the the remake of 90210 people know from a decade ago i played a little bit on that there's a series on netflix called everything sucks there's a movie that came out a year ago that most people haven't seen but i'd love for them to see called cuck about uh where america's been with trump in rain um those are some things sean who are you? He's insanely good in cuck, by the way. Everybody should watch it. Um, who am I? Uh, uh, I am Sean H. Jones. I'm an actor. You might know me from such shows as Seventh Heaven, Drake and Josh, CBS Hallmark Hall of Fame's A Painted House, which I did when I was 15. Uh, yeah, uh, like Zach, I have been acting professionally since I was nine, so going on 25 years. Um, I'm also a writer. I'm also a director. I love films more than life itself, and uh, I love these two, and I love talking movies with them. So that is, uh, that's why I'm here, too. And I'm John Michael Powell. I am a filmmaker, mostly editor. Uh, I've been editing films for probably 10, 15 years. Uh, A lot of indie things that have popped up at festivals like South By, Sundance, uh, you know, the the indie drama fair that you you see every year. Um, Might see some of those movies on Netflix. Uh, Some of the the more notable ones are Obsolidia, which was at Sundance, uh, a film called All the Wilderness with Danny DeVito. Was at South by a few years back. Uh, television series, the most probably popular television series that I've worked on is uh, the Netflix series Dear White People. I cut season three of that. And generally, I've been writing and directing for quite a while on the side uh, over the years. And, you know, I went to film school and I started watching French New Wave films in, in my 20s, and I haven't stopped being pretentious about movies ever since. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. Love it. Before we get to the film of the week, uh, I wanted to say we're, we're going to be starting off every episode uh, at Pickups with uh, news of the week. And what we're going to do is each of us is going to pick a news story and we're going to present it to the rest of the group and just kind of chat about it. So a news story that is in the, the week cycle that uh, that you think is worth mentioning. Zach, what do you got? Yeah, so I pulled up something from The Hollywood Reporter that the, the title of the news article is this national park service can't require permits and fees for commercial filming judge rules so that jumps out at me because i mean i've made maybe two or three times when we've jumped into national parks and been kicked out you know a ranger shows up and says you guys have to get out of here i've had a friend be penalized with 
seven eight hundred dollar um, you know fee and fine and have to go to court. Um, so this just happened. I don't know what state it was in. It was some independent filmmaker was making a narrative drama and somebody came to shut him down. He ended up pursuing that in court and the somebody's just ruled that it's unconstitutional to to fee filmmakers for shooting in parks. So get out there, go film in national parks, tell the ranger they don't know what they're they're talking about and you go make your movie. Interesting. I wonder if that affects because federal land means it's it's public land, right? Right. Uh, paid for by the federal government. So does that mean any federal land that is owned by the federal government should in theory be accessible to filmmakers uh, free of permit? I mean, that's I, I'm I'm curious I'm curious to know more of the context and and what what level of court ruled this if there's an appeal what's going on there but yeah, that's interesting yeah Google it I didn't get too deeply into it but they have the entire you know court transcript on these articles um, so you could really get into it but um, I know BLM we're charged for BLM when we're shooting right isn't that mm-hmm. but you can camp on BLM well, and and, to, and tell people what BLM is Bureau of Land Management um, and but you can camp on BLM land for free. Uh, um, just as a yes. citizen, so uh, yeah, why couldn't this 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 uh, you know decision carry over? I think you're onto something. Yeah, I think everyone should go write a national parks movie right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, the story I picked this week, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go next. Uh, I th- today, uh, Los Angeles County Department of Public Health has issued new guidelines for the reopening of film, music, and television production. So uh, that means new kind of orders uh, as far as the COVID-19 screenings go with uh, film productions. Uh, So this is what has been amended. I'm going to read this list here. So daily screenings now before work. Uh, I mean, it's not just asking about their current symptoms. So before, all you had to do was state if you had current symptoms. PCR testing is now required for all uh, film, TV, and music productions. That includes short-term or one-time productions. So that means short films and commercials. Uh, Face shields must be worn by hairstylists, makeup artists, and wardrobe assistants who must regularly be in close contact with others in addition to their face covering. Hired audiences, this is an interesting one, size of hired audience is now limited to 50 people and all must be hired by or on behalf of the production company on a third party vendor for this purpose, uh, must not be members of the general public. Special events performances must must submit a safety plan in advance of productions. Uh, there's some more stuff there about days and how much you can do there but uh this is a big one and the last one is that the exposure quarantine uh shortened to 10 days it was 14 days Mm. so before you had to quarantine for 14 days now it's down to 10 days i'm sure that's probably something to do with uh this the 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 evolution of the science and what as we're learning more about covid but this one really struck me so you can quarantine for for 10 days but if you're an actor and you've quarantined for 10 days on days 11 to 14 you can work on set but you cannot be within six feet of another actor <laughs> so i ask you actors uh, of this show what do you think about that i think i've got a, a supremely hot take on all of this um i don't know if it's a good idea to be doing any sort of production right now and i understand with that comes so many people out of work and I would never advocate for that I would always advocate for everyone's safety and you know if you're if you're gonna 
go ahead and go full on into production i just think you better keep a tight ship and i personally wouldn't feel comfortable i don't think with even with some of the guidelines you just read you know i'm i'm again i say it's a hot take because i don't imagine many would share that um opinion what do you think Zach? yeah i mean uh, it, to, when you were listing them off it seemed like they're clamping down further with all of these restrictions and everything's getting safer and more controlled until you say if an actor is sick then they're allowed back on day 11 i mean all I can say is if until people are de- de- determined safe, then they should be sequestered away from each other. Who decides whether that's possible on day 11 or not? I don't know. Um, I'm sure there'd be testing if said actor is sick and then is positive two two tests over that enables them to show back up on day 11. I mean, I don't know. I mean, as long as people are safe, it seems like those orders are getting more severe in in terms of protection but yeah that's weird that that an actor can show up and then have had it seven days ago but needs to be six feet away i mean it's a zany fucking world we live in that's upside down and shaking right now i don't i I don't know what do you think jm personally for me i'm not comfortable going out on set and being around people at this time i mean i've got a three-year-old um and i'm gonna be overly cautious but People need to work and like right. film has to film has to go on and life has to go on. So um, I think, you know, probably these precautions are better. Uh, I don't know about the 10 to 14 day window, but it, I would assume I don't want to assume I would hope that there's sound right. uh, science, science behind, and, it. Yeah. behind that 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 number. But who knows? Uh, I, I, all I know is I can't wait to be past these you know lockdowns and these testings and and i mean i think masks are we would probably all agree masks are here to stay but um i'm just ready to get past this uh uh, sean you've got i I think you've got a news story that kind of piggybacks off the pandemic right yeah uh i was just reading about how how sundance is going to do their uh virtual screenings and I wanted to pick both of your brains and see how you thought that would affect things in terms of, you know, the way I was looking at it is obviously with with every festival, you can always walk out on a screening. You can always, you know, cut out whenever you want, but there's a visibility to that. And with these virtual screenings, it's like maybe, you know, how how are you going to know? who has seen what and if they do you know what i mean like do you think that'll lead to more content actually being watched or do you think it'll lead to less content being watched do you know what i mean like i can kind of see it going both ways because once you're in the comfort of your own home and no one can see what you're actually watching what do you do yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be less just when you yeah. when you pitch it up right there. I think it's such a social engagement. I've never been to Sundance. John Michael has, but it seems like it's such a person to person, everybody moving from theater to theater, party to party, networking, saying hello, you know, and, and when it becomes virtual, I wouldn't be surprised if the fucking thing drops 40 to 50 percent in, in viewage. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, John Michael? Mm, I'm of two minds. I mean, you guys bring up really good points. Um, you know, yes, the social aspect of, of being at Sundance is 
a, a huge part of it. You know, a lot of the industry from LA come up. Uh, there's all the all the parties, and there used to be the the gift gifting suites and all that stuff, which they got rid of years ago. Um, although they may be coming back, I don't even remember. But um, you know, it, it's a big social extravaganza. It's not any different than slam dance. I mean, it's it's different in scope and scale uh, than slam dance. But you know, any festival, whether it be slam dance or it be you know the Topeka Kansas Independent Film Festival. Um, is about connecting with other artists. Yeah. So sure, in 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 some fashion, you're going to lose that connectivity. And I would imagine you're probably both of you guys are probably right. It's going to give people more of an opportunity to click off and bounce out of a screening. The, now, the double edged sword of that is it will also get democratize, you know, Sundance a bit because Sundance does get really elitist mm. um let's just be honest not not the festival itself but this elitism of, of 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 availability right it's not sundance isn't something that's available to to every person in the country you know some kid who goes to a film school in in you know kansas keep bringing up kansas i don't know why but some kid <laughs> who goes to to film school in kansas would love to go to sundance and before probably couldn't afford plane tickets certainly couldn't afford a pass to get them into you know some of these passes cost 1500 three grand now however w- can he go online and, and watch some of the movies that mm. are available good point. that's really good cool point. Yeah. and i i think for little films you know like every year there are the big films at sundance um there's always one or two um the vast majority of films at sundance are smaller films that will struggle to get a sale mm. and you know most most people think they lionize sundance and think oh if you get a film into sundance you've you your golden ticket has been claimed and that's just it couldn't be further from the the truth i mean filmmakers like us who are just you know really wanting people to see their movie so i think this digital thing could actually usher in kind of a new like not to get lame but like a new frontier i think it i think it could up sundance's game and i think it could really help democratize creative voice and i think that's a win for independent filmmakers yeah you're absolutely right i for i i I just forgot all of the accessibility issues and it's really rad that the world is going to be able to tune in if they have the interest and probably for cheaper. John Michael, you and I have a movie at Slamdance and I was actually, the, or we had a movie last year, I programmed this year and they're so beautiful in that you could have had a free pass if you signed up before uh, like Christmas day, you just literally signed up. And I think passes might be $15, $20. So, you know, slam dance, I just want to plug because they're such a beautiful, you know, grassroots run film festival and they'll be running the same time. But, um, oh, like right, you just, right, man. sorry to cut you off. Just a quick question. You mean 15 or $20? to have a pass to watch the virtual screenings? I I think that's right. Yeah. Tickets for, for screenings, you know, you may have to get on the website and look, but, but I, I signed up even as a programmer, but they had it available to everybody. If you were early, you could get a free pass across the board. They're very, you know, um, they're, they're paying attention to people's needs and being accessible. Great. Okay. So, uh, last item of business, uh, we wanted to explain how we are picking the greatest movies of all time here and how we're selecting which film to tackle each week. 
Um, okay, so what we've done is we've gone through some of the most common greatest films of all time lists. Uh, some of the ones that you know really well, like AFI, BFI, also some of the the, the more alt um, lists like Rolling Stones, and then added in a few of the more internet kind of based lists like Reddit and IMDb, so that we have kind of a good blend of movies that film lovers consider kind of the greatest movies of all time. And we, yeah, we've whittled those titles into about 700 or so films, and we have created a watch list on letterboxd.com. If you're not familiar, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, no E, dot com, uh, that you can visit and see for yourself. You can find us at Pickups Podcast, that's all one word, on Letterboxd. So every week we let a random list picker pick three films off of our giant watch list, and then the three of us blind vote on the film that we want to watch that week. The film that receives the most votes wins, and that's what we watch is, but if we all pick different films out of those three, we let the list picker choose the film for us. Yep, that's right. So uh, this week... Uh, was pretty easy. It got three out of three votes, this film. We all three picked this film. And uh, yeah, quite the little journey we have here. Uh, we selected, <laughs> I, I think, uh, I'm, I'm, if I'm teeing this up properly, uh, you're, you're in for quite the journey. But the film for this week is Louis Buñuel's That Obscure Object of Desire. Did you, have you guys seen other Boonwell, Boonyell, however you say his name? No, but you know, you know, what's, you know what's funny is that I've meant to because I have found myself I I have this yearning to look at the works of my heroes' heroes, or at least my heroes' influences. David Lynch is my number two of all time. These two are simpatico. Mm. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah. Buñuel, like, apparently was a was a massive influence on Lynch. But it's also listed in every summary, I think. That Obscure Object of Desire is pretty uniformly uh, in the top 100 list of, of all the biggest lists. And it's pretty high up there. Uh, and, you know, it was nominated for a few Oscars. It was nominated for BAFTAs mm-hmm. at the time. I think Buñuel was pretty, you know, he was 77 years old when he made this movie. It was the, this is kind of funny that we're starting with the last Buñuel film. You know, at this point in his career, it was kind of like his swan song. And I think everybody in 1977 just saw this as like a big, a big last bang. So it got a lot of attention in 1977. And it's probably important for the, for an audience who would be listening to this. Let's tell them what the hell the movie is. Yes. So like. You are introduced to uh, a guy who I would say is probably in his late 60s, maybe 70-ish years old. Yeah. And you meet him in Spain, um, and he's trying to board a train. um, To France. To France. He's trying to get to Paris. And you can tell pretty much from the get-go he's a well-off guy. He's well-dressed. He he walks with a cane, uh, like a pimp cane. Like, uh, he's not, it's not an unironic Kane, you can tell from the get-go that he's well off, right? And you can tell from the get-go that he's aware of a camera, and this is not going to be compelling cinema. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but um, rich guy uh, in in Spain boards a train, terribly aware of camera, terribly aware of camera. <laughs> a woman shows up at the train who is uh, beaten and has a uh, a bruised eye and is looking for him. She gets to the train, he sees her and dumps a pail of water on her head. And that becomes the inciting incident 
for yeah. the film. And everybody in his train car says, what, why'd you do that? What's going on? Tell me about it. And then he throws out all these blatant, I hate fucking women lines. Yes, let's, <laughs> we'll get to that, <laughs> Zach. Hold it. Hold, just hold a little longer. We'll get to that. Um, but so he, he, he begins the narrative of saying, let me tell you what has happened and why this woman deserves a bucket of water thrown on her head. Uh, this woman, it turns out, was his maid. Uh, again, he's a rich guy. Not just a rich guy, by the way. Can I say, the guy has, like, a guy who walks around with him everywhere he goes. He's mm. so rich. And he seems to have endless money. <laughs> it, 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 he throws money away like it's just, like, it's it's literally like Cheetos. Like, here, have some... Infinite money. It's un So she shows up as the maid. He is instantly struck by her. Uh, and and kind of lustfully falls in love for her, and, and and the movie is the story of them chasing each other, or old pervert and young woman. C correct. And in that that relationship uh, over the course of uh, the movie turns uh, turns really destructive. I guess is the word I would say. I mean, it's like it culminates in him doing him getting into uh, some violent situations with her. Um, so much so actually he ends up beating her in the end and we'll get to that we can talk about there's a there's lots of elements going on here like there's terrorism right. going on throughout the story there are little pops of terrorism like you'll see a lot of explosions and people gunning people down in the streets i mean suffice it to say uh they both die in an explosion from a, a, a terrorist attack after spending the course of the movie just being awful to each other they die in a uh explosion at a at a mall. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and, and before, and right, yeah, and right After before some, that, some wild you know, imagery. he stops to yeah. to watch this woman mend this torn, bloody dress. Yes, yes. That yes, must so. that must mean that must mean everything, and make everybody call this movie a fucking masterpiece. For God knows why, to me. What I, that I'm, final image? Who fucking knows about anything in this movie? Okay. To me. So this whole time, and we haven't even gotten into the main aspect of what makes this movie interesting. And I, I look, I can tell you guys don't like the movie. Um, I, I don't either. I don't. Let's put it this way. I, there are things that I like about the movie. I agree. Overall, it didn't work for it. Didn't impact me in any way, which is the fatal flaw with that. We can go nowhere in my book. Yeah, because of the nature of their relationship and Let's just be honest, like Fernando Ray's character, Mateo or Matthew or whatever his name is, he's just a schmuck. Mm -hmm. Like the guy is like yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally constant. Schmack. Yeah, we can get into the, the misogyny because the misogyny is a huge conversation oh, yeah. with this movie. I, I, a lot of people uh, that I've read, people are like Ebert love this movie. Right. Like a lot of really respected people love this movie. Granted, he, he was writing in 1977 when he saw the movie mm. in in the time i don't know what he felt like mm -hmm. years later a lot of those people have said that you know it is a basically like an absurdist cinema and it's almost a comedy i mean i i chuckled at the stupidity of certain situations but i never at any point felt any absurdist kind of like humor that was hitting for me did you guys I never did. I watched it with Jen, my girlfriend. She laughed a couple times before she fell asleep. Um, and so the same with my wife. Yeah. So yeah. there was something going on there, but I think it was just, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I never left. I think this is a task for us is to go back and watch other Buñuel. The mm. only other Buñuel that I have seen is Un Chant Andalou, which he made with Salvador Dali back in the 
what, 30s? the 30s? I think, yeah. 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 That's what and, the and, uh, eye getting cut, right? That, that's, that's the right. famous the famous movie where a woman gets her eye slashed open with a razor blade. So when um, I was on when I was on 90210 in the first episode, my character was he talks about that film, loving that film. So that's how I was introduced to, in my early 20s researching and going, how do I say this? And then uh, checking out stuff. But And I, also also important to note that that character was a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if Sean uh, Andalou was his favorite movie of all time, yeah. uh, what does that say about Sean uh, Andalou? Now, is that a feature? Is it full it's length? It's a short. No, it's, it's a, a short that's film. What I thought. That's what I thought. And widely considered the greatest short film of all time. See, this, that's such bullshit. But I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe it is the greatest, but it's... My memory of... I haven't seen it since I was 20 years old. Right, I saw right. it in college. I was an impressionable... Like, at that point, I was like getting into... European cinema um, and just like discovering European cinema. My memory of it was it was just a bunch of stark imagery with shocking kind of nonsensical uh, juxtapositions. And yeah, and I remember the imagery, but that obscure object of desire is a totally different beast. Yeah. It feels like um, Buñuel doing his Hollywood movie. I would say that cinematography-wise, there was some interesting blocking. You would see certain scenes where you'd watch characters in a very tight apartment space walk. I I don't know that there was any logic to the blocking, but I was like, oh, there's some some camera blocking there that I'm not used to seeing. I don't know. I, to be honest... I felt a shift halfway through. I agree with you. I noticed that more so in the second half of the film. To me, the first half, there was all kinds of... Here's the thing. And this is... I know this is um, a personal opinion, but to me, a zoom has to be done the right way or it could... I don't know. It just... To me, mid to late 70s zooms, if you do a certain kind of zoom back then, it just dates it automatically to me. And there were... there were, there. Were, I don't know... I, the the beginning 20 30 minutes everything just kind of felt like he was just picking a spot to put the camera and just zooming in and i i i don't know i didn't we're just letting it sit wide forever and be bored with our laziness with with our camera and i i totally agree with that i I, a lot of the I, i i the zooms actually do work for me uh well I'll tell you the zooms that I like the way he uses the zooms to introduce the different actresses. Is he zooming every time they switch? Did I the not fir- catch the, that? The, fir- the first three or four times you're introduced to these two actresses. And this is this is the big the big thing about this movie is that the the lead actress, the lead character Conchita, character Conchita uh, is played by two different actresses. Right. So so throughout the movie, you will switch between uh carol bouquet bouquet i don't know she's french and then angelina molina um and they have two totally different vibes having let the cat out of the bag as far as what the the main hook of this movie is how did you guys feel about having two actresses for the same character this is something i've always thought about and i don't know that i've seen it before but i've been interested to possibly implement and i'm sure a lot of filmmakers have had the same thought um why i don't know but the it it could work if i mean the big flaw with this movie is it's the wrong people um it's the wrong fucking actors there's when when you say when you say it's the wrong people what do you mean well i mean the wrong actors were hired for this job and for this story Funny you say that because I was reading about the movie and Conchita, I believe, was actually cast by somebody else. They had somebody else in the role. Yes. It was going to be a single woman and, sh- and, and Buñuel was just 
fed up with her, could not deal with her. Mm. I don't know if it was personal or I'm sure it was creative. Like she didn't, she just wasn't hitting the mark. And I think the producers at one point were like, this is awful. We're going to pull the money. I think they brought in Carol Bouquet and Angelina Molina to discuss the role and ended it. He had the great notion at that point. Oh, I'll make both of them the actor. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 I, I appreciated two things about it. One, I thought that it played really well into making her character elusive and it just added to her appeal and mystery. The other thing that I th- that I that I noticed I was feeling as I was watching it that I that I that I will take away as a as, you know, positive from it was I would get used to one of them and then b- in the time in between we see her again, I would want to see one actress and the other one would appear. And I think that's interesting. But yeah, I think that it could have been executed better. And that is, you know, and that's like, that's even going outside of the misogyny, you know? Right. Well, let's talk about the misogyny. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a it's huge, up. It, you know, it's it, a huge aspect of this movie. But here's the, and you know, and it's like, we're. <sighs> It's it's hard to tell since it's been so long if he was making commentary. No, but there's there's no way he was. This is a man born in 1910 or 1915 who has this old world fucking view that he is superior and women are his object. And it's littered throughout the fucking film and everything the guy says and in everything he does. And she's not... She's only there to be this flower that he wants to dominate and own and have sex with. And she's constantly saying the things he, that, that Boone well only wants her to say and represent this fucking terrible portrait of women in this hot and cold thing and they are impossible and you can never get your hand on it and it's just old archaic fucking ideas and we're getting this guy's 78 year old soul plagued by being this like dominating man who's lived that life i mean that's how i took it i was just like this is fucking disgusting and i and and it just it it would have i would have been more interested in watching it if these actors fucking dug in and cared about these moments but they're all floating through it nobody's connected and 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 nothing works it's just stale fucking stage work and with this guy's fucking name who we all know from his first short film and it's tired boring and it won academy awards that's the world we live in you know well, well. To be fair, it's not the world we. Li- it was the oh. world in 1977. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, <laughs> yeah. no, but but I but yeah, no, I totally because, because I don't I don't think this movie would ever stand a chance at getting an Oscar or nomination in the current right. world we live in. I just mean that fluffy bullshit is yeah. generally right. accepted. Sorry, you know? Sean, I didn't mean to cut. No, you no, off. no, 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 not at all, not at all. And I and I wasn't saying I I agree with Zach, and I think the sad truth is Zach is right. I was just you know there's that hopeful side of me that always hopes that people aren't as bad as they actually are or can be you know what i mean but but yeah as i was watching it you you're right it's 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 you know this guy is sitting on his bed literally crying crying tears 
because he can't have sex with this woman. It's it's yeah. it's ridiculous. It's it's upsetting. After he after he pushes her down and tries to and say you will do this or whatever the beginning of the rape scene is. Yeah, after he yeah. basically rapes her. Yeah, it's it's awful. He is the most pitiful character I've I've seen in a long time in cinema. Now and, I think and so, done so blandly. Yes. <laughs> so so the the course of this story, Fernando Ray wants to have yeah. sex with her, can't have sex with her because she's a virgin and she's withholding and, and she'll yeah. go back hot and cold. She teases him throughout the movie. The big moment for me is he has just gotten done at kind of the end of the second act, uh, telling the story. Then then at the culmination. She has sex with a man in front of him and says, oh, I never really liked you anyway. I was just using you for your money, right? So Fernando Ray is enraged, incensed, and he beats her to a pulp as she's, again, being hot and cold, saying, I love you now. Which, by the way, in the moment this yeah. woman is being beaten, yeah, she is saying, I love you. Which is the, this such the masculine pen, the pencil. I was just like, this is atrocious. It's all just... A, a, a 77 year old man's wet dream yep, yep. of you know what he has never been able to get and yeah, yeah. he he beats her in the end and then the ultimate piss me off he ends the story the people on the train have all just heard this whole story of how he's beaten her they've seen her seen him throw a bucket of water on her and he turns to the to the little little person next to him who's a psychologist by the way and mm -hmm. says well so now you can see why she deserved it right and, and I I literally jumped. I, I mean, thankfully, Sabrina, my wife, had fallen asleep by this point. Yeah. Um, and I, she woke up this morning and said, what happened? I said, don't worry about it. It's that just, was exactly no. what I told Jen. She goes, I want to know what happened. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> if it was, uh, you know, an absurdist commentary on the folly of lustful um, pursuit, it was completely undercut by me feeling this 77-year-old man who was at the end of his career was slightly making something autobiographical. I mean, I think it's an important thing to, to nail in because we know as the three of us, as people who write our own stuff at times, what you get, what comes out of you is biographical, no matter what, at least to a percent, we're putting ourselves on that page through these characters. We're ruminating our own experience. So to call this thing complete, did he write it? I didn't even care to look, but I, I assumed um, he did. He Watch wrote it, it with, he wrote yeah. it with Jean-Claude Carrier. Okay. I just, I, I was just, it, it's not a, outside of this guy. He's not making a fucking comment. And it's, I don't know. It was, it was just so off. It was, it, it really missed for me well by the way uh i just also i had i did forget and worth noting it was based on a novel written in 1890 but here's what kills me about cinema it's like maybe you have a framework for something decent maybe and probably not but like the falling in love with conchita he's a, he's at this mansion and she's the nurse and she walks through the room and our camera is static and held back and everybody's a bland boring puppet and nothing in filmic language communicates what is the crux of this movie which is his fascination with this woman we don't get anything other than tired dialogue that nobody delivers with heart there's nothing done with by the director or by the camera nothing is built upon this moment and from there we're supposed to stay with it fuck you and like i'm lost the, the rest of the movie and that was at minute 15 i mean i knew i was checked out at at, at one minute and seven and, and 30 seconds but but you have to make these things matter and and Boonwell didn't give a fuck at least to me in in 2021 looking at it yeah well yeah no i i don't disagree i think uh 
<laughs> I just want to point out, uh, I'm reading online. It says, um, obviously the critical response of the film was positive. Um, it was nominated for best foreign language film, uh, golden globe award and Academy awards it was nominated for best writing, uh, screenplay based on material from another medium. So that's obviously the 1977 version of an adapted screenplay. Uh, a lot of contemporary cr- critics have declared the film a masterpiece. Yeah, well, I saw that all over the web. What the hell is that about? Yeah, it says it says the site's uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 97%. Uh, the site's consensus reads that Obscure Object of Desire is a frequently unsettling tristise on the quixotic nature of lust and love. The British Film Institute... Uh, their 2012 site and sound poll, three critics and two directors ranked it as one of the 10 greatest films ever made. Guys, did we miss what? something? Are we off? Are we off? No, I, no, I, you know, I, here's, here's the thing. And I'm, I'm cl- clearly speculating. I have no idea. I haven't spoken to any of these people. I can only speak from my own experience, but um, I think what happens is people um, idolize artists so they take that idolatry. That's that's a part of it. And then also, you know, they probably were so taken with the terrorism as symbolism aspect of it. You know, it's like you have you have the um, uh, the man terrorizing, you know, Conchita, and then that's set against the backdrop of you know whatever whatever actual terrorism is happening in that part of the world within the film. So it, I, I think people get taken taken away with, with symbolism sometimes. You know, somebody probably watched it and they got to that shot of the the dress, you know, being mended and, and you know. Let's say right now the final shot of the movie, by the way, is the two characters walk up on a seamstress tailoring, retailoring a, a, a bloody a nightgown or a wedding dress hard to tell i I couldn't tell what it was by the way why the hell is this woman sewing in the storefront of a window at like a at like a a gucci um storefront i I have no idea no idea i I, i'm just you know i'm just shooting it out there that maybe that's why some people think of it as up as a work of art. Well, the uh, the other thing I watched a documentary on Boonwell. I'm maybe butchering his name, but just to get kind of primed because I haven't seen anything other than the short when years back. But he said he's an old man, probably before the making of this film. But he's on camera going talking about Unchi and Andalou or whatever it's called, and he said. You know, I was I was the triangle with Lorca and Dolly, and the three of us were buddies, and we came up with throwing whatever idea came to mind, and and randomly, and we would put that in front of the camera. Great, well fucking done, but I'm not gonna call this the greatest art in the world because it's every random image you've thought of. What the and right. you know what the right. fuck? I mean, and this is. Yeah, again, this goes back to contextualizing, contextualizing the time. Right. I mean, I have no, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why this movie is still on right. a sight and sound 2012. I don't care. 2012 is is you know eight nine years ago. Um, that's recent enough to reevaluate why this movie is not. Yeah, how many times did he say women are better off dead? I mean, I think three or four at least. And I think one one was one mention was really violent. It was like yeah. they should be like 
mashed to bits or something. Yeah, yeah, remember yeah, the, yeah. His butler uh, said something at the beginning, and that was my first, like... Right. This is a good moment. This is an interesting moment, I think, to point out. Butler comes up to Fernando Ray. Fernando Ray says, oh, we've never gotten to know each other, even though I pay you to work for me. What's your personal life like? And he's like, not much to speak of. And he goes, well, I'm really interested to know what you think about women. And the guy says, well, I do have a friend who says that they should be basically chopped up in, into bits and put in the ground. <laughs> and, and Fernando Ray's character goes, that's not funny and the and the and the butler says oh it wasn't me who said it it was my friend and to me that was the ultimate like this is what i'm getting back to is like i can't help but watch this movie and feel like buñuel is basically being a misogynist and saying well it's not me it's a movie yeah but it but zach you're right it is buñuel you just can't make a movie that isn't part you even if you're making a movie that says i I detest misogyny, which I never got that feeling from this movie. I hoped for it in the end. I just never, I never felt that. Yep, 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 yep. I'm glad we watched. I'm glad it was the first one. I mean, I think we, it's cool that we all, you know, I'm excited to see what's ahead because I'm sure we're going to have divisions, but this one was so obviously terrible. And I, I'd love to hear somebody tell me it's great, but just all I'm going to do is keep my mouth shut. And well, I, I'm glad I watched it, but I can't imagine that I will ever go back to yeah, it. Yeah, on Letterboxd. Okay, here's a good bring back, throw back, wrap up. I On Letterboxd, I gave it two out of five. Maybe I should have oh, given okay, it one two out, out of five. five. What did you guys, what five. would you do? What, what would you give it, Sean? One and a half. There you go. <laughs> I, I might change to that. One and a half. <laughs> one and a half. Wow. One and a half. Wow. Just, I, and, like, and like the one and a half is just like that concept of casting two people in the same role. That's it. That's the only mm. thing that I found interesting, and I didn't think he did it justice at all. Mm. I would give it a two and a half. Yeah. Uh, I would say that... There are elements that I liked about it. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching the two actresses play the same character. I'd never seen that. Um, I, I chuckled a couple of times. I really did enjoy the strangers on a train aspect of yeah, the storytelling. I, I, lo- I love that stuff. So I got to give it credit for that. But otherwise, I don't think it really had any impact on me. Imagine like you guys know Kieran Hines, the Irish guy. Do you know him? But imagine Kieran Hines in this role and Rooney Mara. Like there's a move. That's the intention that this movie needed. And then I would have maybe been on board with whatever the fuck you say you're trying to communicate. I agree. Oh, I, I, I don't I, even get me started. If you took this story and had Kieran Hines and Rooney Mara and you had this movie rewritten and directed by, you know, uh, Let's be honest. It, let's have this movie rewritten and directed by a female. Yeah. From yeah. from a female's perspective of what it's like right. to be in a relationship well, and, like and this. Re- you would have did an you infin- say rewritten and rewritten? Oh, rewritten and <laughs> yeah. rewritten. It would be infinite. You know, if you had, you know, Kelly Reichard yeah. directing Kieran Hines and Rooney Mara in, you know, a modern take on this from a female's perspective, you'd have an an infinitely more interesting film. Well, let's turn and let's turn it around and talk about the fucking atrocity of man and the duality of man and take it off the women. They're a lot wiser than we are. I'd like to think so. I completely agree with that. There is an opportunity here to make real commentary about how Fernando Ray's character is awful and is an idiot and is wrong and is backwards and to give Conchita 
you know, an opportunity to be a real character. Right. Like that's yeah. the problem with this movie yep. is that the female character is a vessel to serve this misogynistic character's exploits and to let him have the microphone for two hours yeah. to tell his side of the story of why he beat her. And then right. to say, to have the audacity to say, well, now you can see why she deserved it. Right. It's just bullshit. Yeah. Boonwell, go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right, that is uh, a wrap on Obscure Object of Desire. Uh, next week, we will be diving into Tom. That's Tom with two M. Tom Moore's Song of the Sea, a 2014 animated film uh, out of Ireland, which is really cool. Uh, but before we go, we've got some currently released recommendations uh, that we want to kind of recommend. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go. Uh, I'm sure most people have already seen it at this point, but Soul, uh, I wept. I was deeply moved. It is, I haven't seen certain films like Minari yet, but as of now, Soul is hands down my favorite of 2020. I cried like a baby. Um, I'm gonna just shoot out two really fast. Um, never, rarely, sometimes, always just watch that. Think it's great, essential viewing. And uh, the TV show Painting with John on HBO. Very cool. Uh, the, I'm going to throw a quick one out that normally would not be in my wheelhouse. Uh, not usually my current fare, but I just watched Words on Bathroom Walls. Uh, it's kind of a coming-of-age uh, story about a kid who is diagnosed with schizophrenia Whoa. Um, when he's like 16, 17 years old. Um, directed by Thor Fordenthal. I think I'm saying his name right. Worth checking that out. Okay, we'll be back next week. Until then, follow us on letterbox.com uh, at Pickups Podcast. That's all one word. You can find us there. Or you can email us at pickupspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at John Michael underscore Powell, or I'm on Twitter at JM underscore Powell. Zach, where are you? You can get me on Instagram at Zachary Ray Sherman, and Twitter is Zach R. Sherman. Sean? Uh, I am on Instagram at Sean Harrison Jones, S E A. A-N and Vimeo.com forward slash Sean Harrison Jones so you can put a, a, a face to this voice. Nice. All right. Well, uh, we'll pick it up next week. <laughs>